0: Hello and welcome to the Confidential Podcast where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisandi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences. will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Hello and welcome back to The Confidential, The Divorce Edition. Today, I have an amazing, amazing, amazing guest who I I have to tell you first first of all, let me just introduce him this way. He's PhD. So his mind is not only brilliant, but he's an amazing person with a big heart beyond what you've seen or experienced. And I'm going to give him an opportunity to introduce himself. But first, let me tell you, he is a highly sought after executive coach since 2006 when he launched Irwin and Associates Coaching in 2013 because there was increased growth in his personal coaching business. Prior to that, he was doing marriage counseling in a clinic setting and teaching at McMaster University, which is here in Ontario in Canada. So as I said, he's a well-achieved, incredible person. Russ, tell us a little bit more of your work
1: well, thanks, Simone. It's it's really a pleasure to join you and um, just to offer a, an extreme accolades and support to yourself and to what you're doing as well. And so uh, I thank you for this honor and this privilege to align with you this evening. And hopefully together, we're going to say some things that are going to be helpful to people. Um, you, you know, I, I would say this, people often say to me, well, hold it a second, you went from being a doctor, psychologist slash therapist, work in a clinic to an executive coach how does that happen well i do have a degree in strategic leadership in business and i've owned a couple of businesses so i do have a bit of a business background but i have to say this to people you know really there is not much difference between business and marriage or business and family in that both of them for them to be successful they involve deep relationships and some of the principles that will make a marriage successful are the same principles of course there's strategy and various things like that and marketing and other issues that are part of business but they're the same principles that will make a business successful the opposite's also true it's the lack of certain principles that are going to hurt a business it's the lack of those principles that are going to hurt the relationship so what am i really saying i'm saying that a good marriage or a good business it's all about relationships and there are certain things that are necessary ingredients for a relationship to thrive. And there are certain things that, when they're missing, or other negative things that are done in a relationship that are going to cause some dysfunction and, worst case scenario, some devastation to both parties.
0: Mm. Yes. Yeah, so the fundamentals of relationships go across the board, no matter what nuance of life or what facet of life you're in, whether it's business, friendship, romantic relationship, the fundamentals remain the same, is what you're saying. Absolutely. So in that case, let me, let me start with this question. Do people have to be at a certain intellectual level to avoid divorce? Since this is the the topic of this show, do people have to be at a certain intellectual level to avoid divorce, or is it a procedural thing? Like how we proceed things that we do, are there certain procedures that we have to follow or is it an emotional thing? Because we are emotional people, Mm
1: -hmm. So that's a real loaded question that I would, first of all, I'd say, do we have about three hours? (laughs) Um, But but second of all, you know, there has been a great emphasis over the years in in terms of the value and the importance placed on IQ. And IQ obviously is very important. There's a lot of great tests out there that will measure our IQ. But there has been a a real, I think, important and a necessary shift the last five years, That what makes, if I could use this term, and it's a term that is defined differently, but what makes success, whether it's in a business relationship or in a marital or family relationship, is really more EQ than IQ. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, it's our emotional intelligence. And there are certain things, traits, that are identified as keys to emotional intelligence. And what's really interesting is a lot of the business schools, for example, as well as Gottman and his marital institute and a lot of the marriage therapy programs are focusing on these fundamental traits that are necessary for high emotional intelligence. You know, you could be the smartest person in the world and have several failed marriages. You could be somebody who is not so smart in terms of IQ, but you've got the necessary ingredients in terms of EQ that will allow you to uh, To grow a, 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 a relationship to a, a very, very healthy place, and also to serve in a protective mechanism so that when the tough times come, you're able to weather those storms. So I'll give you this example. When in doing marriage therapy very, very quickly years ago, I would have a lot of young people come to me and say, well, you know, we don't need divorce help because we're not married yet, but we're getting married, but we'd love some pre-marriage counseling. Would you do that? And so there was a lot of young people that I met with that were embarking on marriage and would ask for some support or guidance or help. And I would always this question, I'd ask, why are you getting married? And the answer was always the same. Oh, because we just love each other. Right. That was always followed up by this question from myself. So tell me about the greatest challenge that you faced as a couple. They would usually look at me like I had three heads and one of them would generally say something like, what do you mean by that? Well, we don't have any problems. I love it when a couple tells me they don't fight, they disagree loudly. But I would say this about love. True love is not true love till it's been tested. And one of the things that we will often say plays a key role in the breakdown of a relationship, if we reframe that and look at it through different lenses, that very thing can be the glue that holds a relationship together. In fact, can be the very thing that can take that relationship to the next level of happiness. And it's this, it's adversity. Because it's not really the circumstances in life that impact us, it's the meaning that we give to them. And so sometimes we see adversity as a negative thing, and it's going to break our relationship down, and certainly it can. But true love is not true love till it's tested. So adversity can be an amazing beneficial ingredient to a long-term and successful relationship.
0: The other thing is that is that's so that is so important, fundamental and deep, because I never thought it's much like working out, right? You have to Mm -hmm. go through the difficult parts to strengthen your body. Mm -hmm. You have to go through the pain. You have to go through what does not feel comfortable, much like we would probably have to go through in a relationship to be able to strengthen the relationship, much like we strengthen the body.
1: Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, excuse me, in terms of adversity, I think that really fits along the lines of, let's call it marital arguments. And, of course, Mm -hmm. everybody likes to admit, well, we don't argue. Well, I always say this to young couples that are about to embark on a marriage. Let's talk about fighting for a moment, because it's not if, it's when. So this is not about if you fight, because you will. It's about when you fight. So you're going to have to learn how to fight properly, and unless we are taught, it's like the Geneva Convention on World War II, what that was, it was created, you know, of course, it wasn't adhered to, but it was created to say, look, if there's going to be a war, there's got to be rules to war. There's got to mm-hmm. be certain things we're going to do and certain things we don't do. And I say that every good, solid, long-term relationship has to have its own internal version of a Geneva Convention. So, what's going to be the, your rules to negative engagement? What's going to be the rules to fighting? How are you going to learn to fight because you're going to? And I, I have some rules that that I apply to my life, and I passed on to a few people, and they said, "Hey, that's really helpful." And it's this: it, you know, it's not. Uh, don't ever get angry because you will get angry. It's anger is an emotion, and, and and anger can be a great tool to learn from. But what are you going to do with that anger? So I often say. Here's really four good rules to healthy fighting in a relationship. And if we fought this way, we would probably decrease the divorce statistics. And number one, it's this. There's no swearing. Hmm. There's no name calling. There's no throwing up the past in the other person's face as ammunition or as a bullet loaded in a gun. And there's no bringing up negative aspects of the family. Well, let me tell you about your mother. You're just like your dad. Those four things, I say, if we have those in place, these are the don'ts. These are the things that we will not do in our relationship. We're not going to swear at each other. Now, (laughs) I know a lot of people say, well, hold it. I got a bit of a potty mouth. I didn't say you can't swear. But you're not going to swear negatively in the midst of an argument at your partner. Because when we swear, we dishonor. And when we dishonor, we destroy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to swear at you when I'm angry. I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to throw your family history at you, and I'm not going to throw your past. Now, somebody said to me once, but what happens if their past is repetitious and it's become the pattern of the present? Then I'm going to address it as a present problem, not as a past pattern.
0: Right, because it's typically those are the reasons why people end up divorcing, would you say?
1: Yeah, and, and if I look at the past, I'm going to have this temptation or tendency to throw the word always. You know, there you go again. You're doing this and you've always done this. I'm not going there. That's the past. What I'm going to say is this is what's happening right now. And this is what concerns me. This is what hurts me. This, This is what frustrates me. This is what pisses me off. That's okay. But we're going to have a conversation because what happens is if we don't learn to conversate appropriately, then we're going to default to one or two destructive mechanisms and they're what you know, Gottman talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the breakdown of a marriage. And Dr. Russ here has his own two horsemen. And it's this, (laughs) that if we don't learn how to do things properly, and to do them with a sense of honor, and you can still, you can still show honor and still be angry, you can disagree with the person, but honor their role as your partner. But if I don't learn to do these things, and my partner does not learn to do these things with me, and we don't grow together in this, then one or two things are going to happen. Number one, I'm going to learn to withdraw pretty quickly and I'm going to start to stonewall or number two, I'm going to move towards assertion and eventually aggression out of my frustration, my disappointment, possibly my offense and resentment and my anger. Now, men actually oftentimes have a tendency to shut down and withdraw. Yes. One of the things that I'd often heard in marriage therapy sessions was the wife saying, he just doesn't talk to me. And so what I hear is I hear her hungering for communication and for whatever reason, and it's not her fault. It's not his fault because it's not about fault right now. It's about an issue for some reason, the default mechanism for that man right there is I can't talk or I won't talk. And I've choose to withdraw. Now, here's what I love to say for every man, really, I guess for every woman, but for every man that's going to watch this podcast, um, there there is i I know it was a hollywood movie it was a great title and mel gibson starred in it but that was a bit more of a comedy but i'm going to steal a title from a movie and i'm going to call it what women want and i'll tell you after 21 years as a clinician and working in some of the most distorted and dysfunctional scenarios within couples families and individuals i think i've learned four things about women and i've learned through my own mistakes Um, you know life is a tremendous educator the problem is the tuition is quite costly I've learned these things through my mistakes, but I will say this, a woman really wants four things. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be understood and they want to feel a measure of safety. And I've often said to men, if you can do these four things, or if you're working towards that and she sees your humility and you're really doing your best to work towards these things, you're going to have a pretty good relationship and you know, and I've been in more situations, Simone, where, you know, a woman has turned to her husband and said, Well, the problem is you 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 don't see me. And the husband looked at me once in a situation and said, See, this is the problem. This is the level of stupidity I have to ta- deal with. Oh. And I said, Well, first of all, we're insulting. So that is not a rule for engagement. So we're going to stop that. But I said, Can you explain what you mean by that without being, you know, dishonoring to her? And he said, Well, uh, Russ, duh, don't you get it? you're saying that is very important for her to be seen is she saying i don't see her like hello i'm sitting right beside her looking at her right now i think that was the one time in my professional life i wanted to come across the desk um it's like are you not getting what's going on here this is not about visual seeing it's about a heart connection and there is something within women. And I, and I know that there's there's women can take apart what I'm saying. Men can take apart what I'm saying. Thank God you know me and you know my heart, Simone. And i work with you in a coaching capacity, you know, through work and that. And so you're aware of who I am. But I would say this. There is something about when we see somebody, and even if we don't see them, we have enough humility within us and enough love within us to honor the process of saying, I may not be seeing, I may not be hearing. I don't understand you whatsoever. I'm not even sure if God understands a woman. (laughs) But I want to, but I really want to. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot. And then of course, it's very, very important for the woman to understand what's the dynamics of what a man wants. So years ago, people used to say this, one of the most important things that can be communicated in a marriage is this, I love you. Well, I think it's very important, but I don't think it's the most important. I think the most important thing that a man can say to a woman or a woman can say to a man is actually not a statement. It's a question. The question is this, honey, what do you need right now?
0: Oh, yes. Or What do you
1: need from me? Because when we make a statement, we place ourselves in a posture of power and unconsciously we send a message to our partner saying, well, I'm telling you right now what needs to be done because you just don't know. And it sends this message of, you're not as powerful as I am. And what we're all looking for in life is a sense of power. We need that we're wired for power. But when I ask a question, I automatically and unconsciously empower the other person. Because what I'm really saying to them is, like, I'm asking you a question because, you know, I think maybe you know, and I don't know, and I want to learn from you right now. So which brings me to a very, very important point in a successful relationship and it's really hard for all of us it's really hard for us as men to be honest with you but if we can position ourselves in a place and from a posture of humility i think we're going to do okay and i think one of the missing ingredients in many of us today particularly in the confusion and the demasculization of society oh is goodness. that we've just we've either lost or we failed to understand what humility means
0: So I have a question just as a follow-up, actually two. You gave us a list of what women want. So they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be understood, and they want to feel safe. For me, number four, which I wrote down from the list you gave us, safety is probably the most important. And not just physically, but emotionally. So you can actually have a chance at connecting. You have to go into a safe space. What would you say would be four things, especially because you are a man, that men want from women?
1: Um, you know, a, a man, it, you know, that old saying, a man marries his mother, um, okay. or a man when they get married, what they're really looking for is another mom. And I think there is a measure of truth to that, that we also want safety, but we want safety in another area. We want safety not so much from protection, uh, in the area of protection, we want it in the realm of validation. There is nothing more powerful that a woman could do for a man than to say, honey, you're amazing. Honey, you're awesome. Good job. Oh, babe, what would I do without you? Do you know what's really interesting, Simone? And we're having a very strong, authentic, real conversation here about relationships and marriage. And so we can kind of divert into areas of things that are needed to be discussed, but oftentimes aren't discussed for whatever reason. But, you know, a man, you know, many, many times if the man doesn't verbalize it, I promise you, they think it, you know, after a sexual encounter with the wife, the partner, whatever, a man wants to know this. Did I do okay? Always. Did I do good? Was that good for you? What they're really saying, uh, am I, have I, was I the best? So what's going on in this childlike mindset of this man? They just want to be validated. Validation. They just want to know they're okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would well, that's say that's number things. one, and that morphs out to so many things. There, we, you know, there's there's a lot of argument that can be brought my way within the cultural shifts that are happening. You know, within in in gender challenges, within feminism, and all that. I'm not against any of them. I'm not against anything. I, the the more I learn, the less I understand as I grow older. <laughs> but but I'll I'll, I'll say this. As men, we are wired for protection. Right. And we want to feel that we can take care of our bride. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going back to an old school mindset and please all ladies do not hear this, that you have a role to play, which is barefoot, pregnant and in the home, not at all. And I am forever questioned by by ladies in particular, after I do these type of podcasts, Well, let me ask you a question. Can a woman or should a woman be a CEO of a company? I said, absolutely. The best person should be. And if it's a woman, then she better get the job over the man. Because it's not about gender. However, in saying that, from a neural perspective, we are wired differently. And we have different needs. And so there's something that lights up in me if I feel like I'm protecting my partner. There's something that lights up in me. If I feel like I'm validating my partner, you know, I said in, in my marriage vow one thing that was really important to me, and it was important for me to say, but it was important for me to communicate. I said this, do you know with one hand I could take on the world if I know that you're actually holding the other? Mm. And that's what a man feels. So there's that validation. That's their sense of protection. Do you know generally when a man doesn't feel validated or a man feels that he's building failing in the area of protection there is nothing that will wipe out the self-esteem and self-value of a man quicker than that
0: so that fundamentally is in one sense especially in the realm of relation romantic relationships marriages partnership of life not partnership of business this sense of uh protection to protect I love that so much. I love that so much. I love that so much because I think that there's nothing that could make a woman feel more feminine than to know that she is next to a masculine man that is a protector.
1: And and that brings up a whole new podcast right there that I, I've done many seminars on you know, energy levels. And what I mean by that is the masculine versus the feminine energy, mm-hmm. and the power of polarity. And so for example, we all have both energies residing within us. But if I go feminine, my energy, now, this is not about right or wrong, I'm simply making statements. Mm-hmm. But if I operate out of a feminine energy, my partner will automatically move toward masculine. masculine energy. Yes, yes, If she goes into a feminine energy, I'll go into a masculine energy because that is necessary. The power of polarity brings equilibrium within nature and health and balance. And so we need that. And so oftentimes, you know, I'll say to a man, well, my wife just, she's like just a brute and she's obnoxious and manipulative and controlling. And she's like, she's just like the man of the house. And, and it really bothers me. And so, well, let's talk about your energy levels. Oh no, no, no. I'm a serve. Like I put her in her place. And I said, "No, you're not operating in a masculine energy. You're operating out of fear and a manipulative posture."
0: Oh wow! And do, that's you a think, false sense do you think do you think that if people, men and women, in life partnership as husband and wife in marriages, if they were to operate from an authentic woman in the feminine, authentic men in the masculine, would that reduce the divorce rates?
1: Absolutely. Now, we need to be clear in stating that the feminine energy is not weak. The feminine energy does not mean that you cannot be a strong CEO or a strong woman. You could be very, very strong. It's it's understanding the dynamics of the energy. And so, you know, I, I mean, some women that are very, quote, masculine in their energy and have believed that they have to give up their feminine side, and now they're ruling this company, and they're doing they're hated by all and they're actually unhappy inside because they're not being true to how they're wired. So mm-hmm. I think that we are the most strong that we, we we're at our best when we're ourselves. The key is this. The key now that comes down to identity issues as well is knowing who I am and how I'm best wired. And then how do I live in that? How do I function in that authentically with a sense of confidence and purpose and peace? And I'm I'm not living with this fictitious persona that I'm trying to be what I'm not because I think it'll get me a different result. And then once I know who I am, I'm able to communicate that to my partner and vice versa. We're going to have some happy connection and some good conversation. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying here along the lines of masculine and feminine energy We've had what we've had since the 60s and the hippie movement at Hyde-Ashbury in San Francisco. We've got a global identity crisis. We don't know who we are.
0: And we're probably afraid to be who we truly and authentically are.
1: Absolutely. So what we'll do is this. If I don't know who I am, see, the problem is this. If I don't know who I am, what if I discover who I am and you don't like it? Well, I'm screwed now because that's all I have. So, why don't you let me know somehow who you think I should be, and I'll be that, and I've got a better chance of sustaining value? Mm. But if we'd all get authentic,
0: that's right.
1: Scary. It's a scary path to progressively walk down, but we'd all be a lot more fulfilled and happy.
0: It's difficult right now, especially, I mean, I'm sure it's equally the same for men and women. It's so difficult to be your authentic self in the world because there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of negativity towards being yourself because there are so many expectations as to who we should be in every facet of life. At school, as a student, we have to act a certain way, which is perhaps far removed from who we are authentically in our relationships, especially for women. And I know it's the same for men, especially now for men, because it's such a there's mass confusion as to what's masculine and masculine is toxic masculinity but for women um if you you know you're supposed to and this has been since god knows when you're not supposed to speak up you're supposed to be quiet you're supposed to be small you're supposed to you're not if you show any kind of um sexual desire you are looked at as a an easy woman mm-hmm. or loose to keep it you know, um, to keep it clean because I know that there are many words that are used to dehumanize women in the mat, like the media and, um, in songs in the movies. And so it's difficult for women to, and I know I speak for myself here. I almost feel like I have to be masculine to be able to protect myself in the cruel world that's out there. I don't want to be, I would actually rather be feminine and I'll tell you, I dated one individual because, as you know, I'm divorced. I dated one individual whose masculinity was on so high that I I actually naturally fell into my feminine. Like it was effortless to be feminine around him. Yeah. Whereas most of the time I keep my guard up, I keep yeah. my armor on and I do not show who I am.
1: Yeah. And and so so here's the challenge. And and I'm I'm not saying that I would in a sense disagree because I I want to be very careful in saying who am I to say um, you know I just really appreciate you and have the utmost respect for you as a coach and what you do which is why I'm on this program with you because I love to support you but I would say this that when you said you know the way the world is and you know I'm paraphrasing it like I I'd love to be my true feminine self but I'm I'm forced into this masculine energy and I I have to do this and I have to do that. And I would almost challenge that and say this, that we are allowing ourselves oftentimes or believing that we need to step into something for self-protective reasons. And there's some truth to that, but you, you would be more powerful, <laughs> and I don't mean you, but you in general, you'd With be it. more powerful if you launched out in the authentic, feminine, energetic Simone and who you really are now there's some people that's going to repel but not going to want to use what they're not the ones you want to draw anyway but what they will begin to draw is authentic honest people that can be themselves and then you have this collision of honesty now you have this collision of truth and personality and now you get to choose whether you're really compatible with this person or not but if you're not that's okay but now it's a decision that's made upon truth it's not made upon all these masks and things that I have to wear, I should wear. You know, It just that is not only confusing for our world today, it's exhausting. And so I would say this, that all this chaos that we've got, you know, within tribal society right now has laid some groundwork and some conditions that makes divorce more palatable now. And so, you know, we ease into divorce because we've got many of these challenges and issues. And so here's the interesting thing. If, if I don't want to deal with me, if I don't want to find out who I'm, if, if you don't know, forget about success and money. And, you know, I'm mean, gonna often say to people that we spend our lifetime climbing this ladder at the end of the day to find out it was actually leaning against the wrong wall all along. And what really matters is that I put my effort, my energy and everything into building up my internal world it's really about my heart now i'm not talking about let's have a group hug now and get all mystical but i'm talking about it's it's developing that inner world that allows us to appropriately steward the external world which involves relationships so because i'm not working on my internal world because my heart's a mess because i live with fear then when i go through divorce whatever the reasons are That is an absolute volcanic eruption of volatility of emotion. So whether I am wanting the divorce or I'm the recipient of it and don't want it, I'm going to have sadness. I'm going to have some discouragement. I'm going to have anger, frustration, self-blame, shame, guilt, projected blame. I'm on all these things. And here's the problem. I don't know what to do with those feelings when they come.
0: I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir, and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it please pick up your copy from Amazon for your very own signed copy. My email address is Simone at Oh, and I'd really appreciate it. If you please consider leaving a review once you've read the book and now back to the show.
1: I don't even know how to deal with it. I don't even want to deal with them because I'm now being hit with this rush of foreign emotions that Mm -hmm. I've never really spent the energy and the effort into my internal world. And so, you know what I'm probably going to do? Many times as men, I got three options. I'm either going to deal with my stuff and really face this stuff and use it as an opportunity to grow and learn. And number two, I'm just going to shut down and withdraw, or number three, I'm just going to get back in the game again. And I'm dating by next month.
0: Or escapisms. Would you say that there's, because I've seen a lot of men uh, who become broken and in order to and I don't know whether this is because they lack the fortitude or the strength of character to come face to face with those emotions you just referred to, but they turn to bottles they turn to substances to be able to numb the pain and escape the reality of of what's happening because it hurts so much absolutely so what would be aside from because I would think that the the advice that you gave, the four things that women want, and then you also spoke to the most important thing that men want, that being validation. Would those things be something that people who are, let's say the relationship is on the rocks, their marriage, would those be things they could do to avoid getting to the level of divorce?
1: So I think my short answer would be yes, they would be very, very helpful but I think foundationally and what's a baseline is the willingness of each person to try. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a saying oftentimes in addictive circles, you know, God help me to be willing to at least be willing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're not willing, but that's okay. But if we're willing to become willing. So again, that comes down to, you know, humility. I think if you have two people that are willing, it doesn't really matter what hell they're facing with the right tools and with the right support, coaching, counseling, or whatever, they can get through it. They could weather the storm. The resilience of a human being is off the charts. But if we're not Mm -hmm. willing to work on it, then we're going to have a problem. And let me just default back for a moment when you said about men. Men have a tendency to jump back in to relationships a lot faster than women. And it's because men, you know, a woman wants to know, hey, do you like my new dress? But a man needs validation at a very deep core level of his being even more so than a woman a woman often fares better on their own than a man does now i'm not stereotyping that in all cases but i'm saying statistically after a divorce being on their own you know if 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 a man's out there just you know if he's inebriated and partying and dating every night i mean he's not even he's not worried he's just living with a false reality but when it comes to really being on our own and trying to face our stuff It's much harder for men, and I say that because I is a man, so I get it. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm, willing to admit that, and I've studied men and studied human behavior. And part of the thing with validation is this. Somebody asked me just recently, what is the greatest need of humanity? So, Russ, you're a neuroscientist. So, tell me from a neural perspective, what are we most wired for? And I said belonging. Oh. And our brain unconsciously gravitates towards belonging cues. There was an incredible study that was done. I believe it was by Harvard just a few years ago. And they wanted to study the effects of belonging cues on human behavior. We are wired for belonging. And and the reason why is because belonging is tied very much towards our survival instinct. And we're wired for survival, but we're wired for belonging. And they did this experiment where they had You know, I don't know, there could have been in the one group, group A, say 50 people and group B, 50 people. And in group A, during a rainstorm, these 50 people would approach somebody at a bus stop and say, can I borrow your cell phone, please? And what they wanted to see is how many people actually just lent their phone to the person standing beside them. Group B was this. They went up and they first said this. I'm so sorry for the rain and you're experiencing the rain right now. Could I borrow your cell phone? Do you know in group A, zero lent their phone. In group B, over 60% of the people just handed only a foot or two away, handed their phone and helped the person. Because when the person said, I'm so sorry for the rain and that you're experiencing the rain today, guess what I did? I sent a neuro unconscious message of connection empathy, care for that person, I actually sent out belonging uh, cues and we respond to belonging cues. So when we have willingness and when we're looking at those things that we've discussed already, the needs of a woman, the needs of a man, what we're really saying is this, if we're willing to send out belonging cues or whatever messages are necessary to help that person feel a sense of belonging we have got a greater chance of saving a marriage than if we're practicing anything else.
0: Sense of belonging.
1: And so belonging cues from a neurological, a neural perspective, it releases the chemistries necessary in our brain to feel heard, seen, understood, safe, Safe. validated for men, connected, And people used to say, well, one of the greatest things that we needed to have a successful marriage is good communication, it's communication. Well, how many times do you know that people will sit and talk, but they don't connect? So it's not really connection we need, or excuse me, communication we need. It's connection that creates quality communication. And connection is a result of belonging. And it's very interesting. And again, more studies have been done, not only in marriages, but in businesses and looking at building. So I do a lot of work with corporations and helping them to build high performing teams and what I would call high impactful cultures within the organization. And I do a lot of working, helping people to understand how to receive and send out belonging cues. So give you an example. There was one study that was done with several organizations This one was Harvard. And they discovered that when connectivity and belonging cues were regularly sent, it was over an 11-year study involving over 200 companies, listen to this, that productivity and profitability on an average went up 756%.
0: Wow. So even in the business arena, it helps us.
1: So they said, okay, we need to look at this. So then this led to a particular study Where it's called the Allen curve and the Allen curve measured belonging productivity and proximity of people. So what they noticed was this, that when people in their pods or their desks, or however they were positioned in the office, that when they were within eight meters of one another and left or less productivity belonging and communication went through the roof, and more emails were sent to each other back and forth, even though they were in this close proximity. When they moved out beyond eight meters, productivity and communication started to depress. When they were on another floor, connection was almost lost completely, which affected performance, morale, um, you know, turnover, I mean all these things. These are huge things for business success but there are also huge things within marital success as well.
0: It's like a long
1: distance relationship is really hard to manage one. Why? Because does that mean we don't love each other? No, it's because of proximity reduces belonging cues.
0: That's very true. I was in a long distance relationship that didn't last and it was very painful.
1: And it doesn't mean that they can't. And for many people they do. But what it's really about is you and I, Simone, are wired For belonging. And what makes us happy and fulfilled is when I am constantly sending out belonging cues to you and receiving belonging cues back from you. It's lighting up the interior cingulate cortex of our brain. It's lighting up our default mode network up to 46%. It's igniting the pleasure center, the dopamine drips getting turned on. My life becomes (laughs) wonderful when I'm belonging. Now that works in family, it works in business.
0: So, in relationships with children, I'm sure. Absolutely. Friendships and business, and definitely between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. So, a a follow up question based on the example that you gave of the gentleman that uh, you were obviously doing marriage counseling, he was there with his wife, and you said he was the only client that you wanted to just jump across the desk and grab him. What would you say to men? So that they can understand on a deeper level, what it is that a man needs to see his woman as so that she can feel like she's being seen
1: so or heard I have, for I, that matter. Yeah, I often, and that's a great question. And I'll often ask a question. So if there is a problem and you say, for example, the woman says, you know, the problem is my husband doesn't see me or my husband just, he's not hearing me. I would say to the husband, now, before you prepare your rebuttal or before you actually take action on your rebuttal, can I just ask you a question? Sure, you can. What did you just hear her say? She said, I don't see her. Okay. What does that mean to you? And I'm going to ask him what that means. Because my definition at this moment is really not that important because I'm not living with her. Mm -hmm. But what's your definition? And then I'll ask the wife, what's your definition? I'm not going to say, do you agree with him? I'm going to say, what's your definition? She's going to state it and say, okay, so here's what we got here is you have a wife with this need and you've committed yourself to really want to meet her needs. And of course, sometimes we can all get greedy and our needs can be impossible. And so I'm not just talking about meeting every need, but your wife is stating she has this need and you actually believe that you're meeting the need. But according to her, you're really not because her definition is this and your definition is this. So let me just ask both of you, with my hands like this, what do we have right now? we got a gap. we got a chasm. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you, Miss to or Mrs. to settle for a second. I'm not going to ask you to reduce your standards. And, buddy, I'm not about to tell you you're completely wrong, but I'm going to ba- ask both of you. What do we need to do right now to begin to close the gap? Mm -hmm. And I see myself at that moment is not the bearer of wisdom, but the individual to dance in the moment with the individuals to help them to facilitate coming to their own conclusions. And you know what I have found, Simone? If you give people enough rope, they won't hang themselves. If you give them enough rope, they'll actually find the answers to their own questions
0: that's what i love about what you just described because typically when you go into uh coaching or counseling you look to the person outside of you to give you the answer to guide you to to give you the template or the blueprint of what you should do or say however your approach is to ask the question keeping in mind the uniqueness of this couple and what they share and their life as a couple and as husband and wife, and for them to identify for themselves what Mm -hmm. something means so that they could at least be able to see it face to face with each other, what it means to the other and what it means to themselves. And I think that's so important because a lot of times people do look outside of themselves for the answers outside in the external world when they have not even become self-aware enough to know what they want, what it means to them to be seen heard, to feel safe, um, validated for men, understood, and it's so important that perhaps, um dare I say, maybe people should start looking, even if they are not at a divorce state yet, to start looking within themselves and to identify where they're at, who they are, more importantly than, than anything else, where they're at, What they want from their marriage, because I think that a lot of times we in in marriages, we just follow societal norms Mm -hmm. and the way that we were conditioned and we don't really know what we authentically want from ourselves as a husband or wife, from our significant other, from our life partner, from our marriage as it goes through its various stages in the beginning, when it's sort of the honeymoon stage, and then you have the children that puts a strain on the on the marriage, and then you're empty nesters, you're older, uh, perhaps the spark is lost. And speaking of that, I'm wondering, what kind of advice would you have for people that, let's say, in a, in a relationship, in a marriage, mm-hmm. um, for those who believe that their marriage is boring and has lost its spark? and are thinking of leaving the marriage, whether that's the husband or whether that's the wife, what trap would you say they have fallen into? And what advice do you have for them to get out of that trap so that they can actually salvage their marriage?
1: So I want to answer that question. I want to say a couple of things in response to what you had mentioned a few minutes ago, um, in terms of the coach, the counselor, maybe asking or helping them to find the answers rather than giving an answer. And then I want, I think it's going to sort of segue into what you're asking now about a, a boring relationship, if that's happening. I think one of the reasons why individuals oftentimes want some form of directive answer from a therapist or a coach is because I think oftentimes on an unconscious level, what it does is, well, you told me to do this, and if it doesn't work, well... <laughs> Bob, the counselor, said we should do this. Um, it was his idea, not mine. So guess what? It's not my fault. Right. And it's, it's a real easy out if I tell you what you need to do with your marriage. But when you come up with it, your accountability now just went through the roof. Right. If I tell you what you need to do. Doesn't work. It's not your fault. The other thing is this, is I often will ask three questions of couples. Um, what's the problem, who's involved, and what do you want to do about it? Now, when I ask people the first question, they identify the problem, and usually they already start by blaming. When I ask who's involved, what do you mean who's involved? It's my wife here, and that's the problem. I can't stand her. She's doing this or he's doing this. When I get to the third one, and what do you want to do about it? Well, if Bob would just do this, we'd be Okay. No, I'll ask Bob that in a moment, but what do you want to do right now? And so I am continually wanting to find out in the relationship, what do you want to do? And many times I'll hear, what do you mean what I want to do? It's not up to me to do anything. It's his fault. Okay. I appreciate that. And we can have some time together where you can get all that off your chest and you can vent and accuse and scream and everything. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe you need to do that. But for now, What do you want to do? And I want to bring it back to ownership. So if somebody came to me and said, you know, John and Jane and Jane says, "Well, I've been married to John now, you know, for 40 years. And it's just it's boring. It's not happening. And, you know, I just I don't I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm tired. I'll say, "Okay, so Jane, thank you for your honesty. So I am always going to begin with some form of validation. Well, heck, Jane, thank you for being honest with me. That's very courageous. You don't even know me. I know you're paying me, but I mean, you've just come in here and you shared something. So, so Jane, let me just ask you about boring. So can you define what boring means? Can you tell me what not boring would mean? And are you able to identify when it switched from not boring to boring? And what I'm looking for there is a definition of not boring, which is fun. And we're staying in to boring, which is, I don't even want to be in this anymore. And I want to get to the root of the issue. Well, When did this happen? When did it not become, boring? when did it become boring? Like what, what shifted? And it's amazing. Very few people say, I don't know. They'll say, well, I'll tell you. And they actually know. And then I'll say, so this is your definition of boring. Thank you. This is your definition of not boring. This is when it became boring. Um, So what do you see really is the problem? And who's really involved in this? Because sometimes when we blame the other for our issue, we'll often find, not always, but sometimes it actually has very little to do with that person. It has a lot to do with me, which comes down to this. Maybe there's some internal challenges going on with me that are creating external issues. So who's involved with this? And I love it sometimes when somebody looks at me and says, you know, you said to me, Russ, when we started this process, you might hate me for a while, but you'll love me when it's over. Um, I really hated you a lot through this process. But, you know, I love the fact that you've asked these questions because I'm at a place now when you say who's involved, really, I'm involved
0: mm. and it's me.
1: And really, who's involved? Yeah, John's a recipient of it, but it's me and the mirror as partners right now. We're involved. So, what do you want to do about it, Jane? Well, you know what, Russ? Me and the mirror need to work through this. Right. And I'd really love your help. Bingo. So, Hopefully that answers a little bit of the question, you know, I I mean, if you're going to tell me you're bored, I need to know what does bored mean to you and what does not bored look like?
0: I think oftentimes people look to the other person, to their partner as to the level of effort they put into making the spark remain alive in the marriage and in the relationship, whether it's uh, intimacy or otherwise, and we don't look at ourselves, I think we've all been conditioned to look outside of ourselves first and place the blame and um, put it squarely on the shoulders of the person that we share life with. And yeah. we don't really look at ourselves, we, we have become so accustomed to looking to the external world rather than the internal world.
1: Well, if I look at you rather than me. Um... I, I, there's not a whole lot of ownership there. Therefore, I don't need to change because really it's, it's mostly not my fault. Right. The other thing is, if I look at you, I now get to put expectations and demands on you. And oftentimes are unrealistic. You know, Mm -hmm. this all, I think ties into the last three years and without getting political and disease oriented and the CDC and all that people have asked me about the pandemic Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, look, Russ, let's not get into mask, no mask, Democratic, Republican, whatever. Just what do you think this is all about? I said, well, there's a couple of things that we could discuss. We could look at the disease thing. We could look at a political thing. I mean, we could go any number of areas you want to go. But I said, let me just talk to you as the psychologist, as the doctor, because I'm not an economist and I'm not a politician. So let me address it from this perspective. I think... Our Creator, whomever she or he might be to you, gave us the greatest gift in the world, even though it was a crisis and we've lost a lot of loved ones and people have been impacted and hurt through this. I've reframed this into it was also a potential invitation. What do you mean by that, Russ? I said, I think our Creator gave us a big time out and sent us to our room because we had some things that we really need to work on. So now post-pandemic, the questions I asked during the beginning of the pandemic was this, who are you right now and who do you want to be when this is done? The question I'm often asking people now post-pandemic is this, so what have you learned through this? Oh, well, you know, the government, no, okay, well, that's them. What have you learned right now? What have you learned in relationships? What have you learned about yourself? How much time have you proverbially spent in front of the mirror? I guess what I'm saying, Simone, is this. Would an honest, an honest date with the mirror and some internal work and some soul searching, is that going to solve all the relational and marriage problems? No. But it's probably going to help.
0: This is such a great segue to the to the question I was going to ask you. Um, And that is, what do you think the divorce rates, especially as a person who is helping people stay together, what do you think the divorce rates will look like in five to 10 years, especially given the current climate that's global and how much we've shifted from what we knew and the new normal that has been introduced especially vis-a-vis what you just said, because yes, it was certainly an invitation for us to really be with ourselves in silence, to be able to see, but yet everybody looked to the outside world and pointed the finger, look what the government is doing, look what the doctors are doing, look what so-and-so said, look at what so-and-so posted, never looking towards the self. So given the chaos that's out in the world right now, do you think that divorce rates will increase? What do you think it'll look like in five to 10 years?
1: So let me say this, and I'll need to go shortly. Um, but but I would say this, Simone, I, uh, first of all, I I have very little power of predictability, even though Mm -hmm. Part of, you know, 12 years of university was a lot of courses on stats and measuring probabilities and (laughs) different things like that. I I would say this, and I really want to caveat this with, this is my opinion, Mm -hmm. just an opinion. Um, I think the divorce rates, in many ways, people are predicting the divorce rates will go down simply statistically of an overall numerics, simply because a lot of people just are choosing not to marry anymore.
0: Yes. So, if you
1: had a hundred divorces in this particular year, and you had fifty now, I'd be like, "Wow, look at the divorce has gone down." Well, no, because out of the hundred, fifty just didn't even get married, mm-hmm. and they don't want to get married. And is marriage living together right or wrong? I don't even I don't even go there in that particular conversation. That, and that's not what this is about. I would say the divorce rate statistically it could be a false numeric. Because a lot of people are just choosing not to marry right now. Right. Among those that are marrying, what's going to happen? I think it's conditional, simply meaning this. If we carry on the way we carry on, then, like that old insanity definition, we cannot continue as a culture, as a society, as individuals, as in relationships and marriages. We can't continue to do what we've done and hope for a different result. So something's got to change. And, you know, I, I believe it was Gandhi, but whomever it was, and and I, and I apologize if it sounds disrespectful. I don't remember the name, but I believe it was Gandhi who just, it, it was almost like a statement or a prayer. Let me be the change. Let change beginning me. Mm-hmm. The change that I want in the world, let us start with me. And I think our success as, as a society, as a race, and I mean a race, the human race, yes,
0: human race.
1: is really going to be impacted by, negatively or positively, our ability to look in the mirror, to embrace some humility, and just deal with our stuff.
0: To make we, a date with the mirror, as you said earlier.
1: We start to deal with our stuff. We and everybody around us going to be a little bit better off if we don't then the insanity continues and the statistics will continue to rise because you know people say well you know the statistics were high because people had a mindset and a belief or a religious value system you don't divorce you stay in the marriage totally unhappy or even have an affair but you just don't leave yeah but you know what that's not a marriage while well, you stay in it for the kids. Well, let me tell you something about kids having taught development of psychology for seven years at a major university. Kids would rather, and I'm not advocating divorce. I'm simply saying this. Kids would rather come from a broken home than remain in one.
0: Oh, that's very deep. That more, so
1: deep. Oh, touches my emotions because I've seen kids. I've seen families that have, quote, stayed together and it looks great. everybody's dying in there Mm -hmm. the children often pay the price not only do they pay the emotional price in the moment but they're paying the price of what's modeling being modeled to them that they'll bring forth into the relationships later on
0: yeah and i i'm a i can attest to that Uh, my parents were married and my mother stayed with my father for very wrong reasons And you're absolutely right. Looking back, I always, when they actually did end up divorcing, it was a sigh of relief and a thank God, because they should not have been married to begin with. And I was so happy that they finally, because that's when peace came in the house.
1: Yeah. You know, Simone, I could talk with you for hours.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. I appreciate all your wisdom, all your knowledge, Uh, everything you've imparted. I mean, you gave so much value on this particular show. I'm just going to summarize it quickly, but before I do that, please let the audience know where can they find you so that they can seek your amazing help. You've given them a lot of value in this show, but I'm sure that if anybody needs more help in their respective business relationships, marriages, relationships with their children, where can they find you to work with you?
1: Well, so I'll give you two things. Um, they can find me via my website, uh, which they can actually even schedule in an appointment or you know, call for a discovery call, which is a free 15 minute call I usually do with people. That's at www.irwincoaching.ca. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Irwin Coaching, all one word. Or, and people you generally just get a shiver up their spine when I do that. Do this. Next one. Here's my personal business number.
0: Oh. 905
1: 905 536. 536
0: 7100.
1: 7100.: Now for I'm really guys. good with my professional boundaries. But when you have to be. But people have often said to me, Why would you give your number out to people? I said, so they can access me easier. But why would you do that? Because this is not a job for me. This is a calling. That's right job for me it's an assignment i actually love what i do and i love helping people as you know yes you do i i get calls all hours hey listen i could choose to let it go to voicemail i have boundaries but i want to make myself accessible to people so call me go on my website however however i can help but let me also throw something in that you're not expecting me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I just so deeply appreciate you. Simone, you are an amazing coach. You're an amazing, gifted, skilled individual. And I think, you know, I, I know that you just have a wonderful skill set, particularly in helping men as they're navigating their way through chaotic, confusing, emotionally painful transitions in separation and separation, divorce. So, I would love to also see you in this program by letting people know how they can get a hold of you.
0: Oh, that's very kind of you. And thank you so much for that. Yes. And I'm running a men's help group right now where I coach men who are actually going through this very thing through the divorce, or they're navigating these chaotic waters, which are the most difficult for anybody, not just men. But in particular, men. And I come from the perspective of a woman because I know what women, the lengths that women go to to try to bury men. And it's important that we empower men so that they can be in their masculine. They are the protectors and they are the providers. So we need to support them as much as possible. So, yes, you can get in touch with me at SimoneJusandi.com and you can get a hold of me by email at Simone. At simonegiosandi. So thank you for that, Russ. I really appreciate it. And just for everybody, Russ mentored me, and so if you've heard wisdom come from him, you will you will get a little piece of him by working with me. Because he's and if you blow it, it's
1: not my fault. I've never met her in my life. So <laughs> anyway, I've got to run because I have I, I have a, another call I have to do. with- Thank you, Russ. And Absolutely, I love it. I'm looking forward to. So Simone, you are awesome, and thank you for this honor. Thank and this you privilege. for that i just being able to share with whomever might visit this particular podcast. So thank you again.
0: Thank you. And I look forward to having you again.
1: You betcha. See you Goodbye, now. Bye Dr. Russ. Right, bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning to the confidential. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative. Please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.